Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Adoptees podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Kelly Kelly, Kelly Roddenbush. She's the uh, exec director of the Sparrow Fund. She's, um, she's a mum to four to four kids, uh, yep. three, three, bi- three biological kids, I remember from last time we spoke. And then, then, you, in, uh, then you adopted a uh, fourth. And I think your fourth is, is she, she's 12, I think, if I remember right. She's now. 13 now. She's 13. She's 13. Yeah. Um, so uh, you, bef- you, you, your, we talked about your education, the fact that you did um, a degree in infant and early childhood mental health, and then you did a, ma- a master's in counseling. Close, uh, and, close. Yeah, a little correction. It's a certificate in infant and early childhood mental health, which is different than a degree program. Okay. Um, so I got my master's degree in counseling. Um, decades ago, um, and then took a lot of time off to raise my family. Um, So when I got back into the professional world, which I've been in for uh, maybe eight or 10 years now, um, I wanted to do something else that was current and, you know, could catch me up a little bit and keep my brain fresh and growing. And so I, I just finished a certificate program at Georgetown um, in infant and early childhood mental health. Wow. The thing that really stuck out for me when we spoke last time is you said mm. that you'd, you'd got all these professional qualifications and you'd mm. had this, um, you know, you'd had this experience of raising three kids. Mm. Uh, and, and then you said to me that when you, uh, when you adopted your, your youngest from China, if I remember rightly. Yes, correct. Um, it, it, it turned your life upside down. Yes. I think, I think that's what you said. Yeah, turn your life upside down. Yes, that sounds about right. That sounds like yeah. words I would use. Yes. <laughs> so um, so what, 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 what was that? Because that really stuck out. That's really stuck out mm. for me, the drama of that. Yes. Um, and, and I guess for me, the, the kind of the inkling that I had was it was the difference between theory and practice. And, and, sure. and, and in, 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 in theory, there's no difference. But in practice, there is. And <laughs> that's right. what the life turning, turning life upside down was. Yeah, that's an interesting framework to put it in. That, that makes sense to me, the way that you're wording that theory and practice. Um, yeah, I think I, I entered into our adoptive um, experience feeling like I had a lot of knowledge and I could do this. Um, I understood attachment. I had a long-time interest in attachment and parent-child interactions. And I was not prepared um, for the level of intention and the embodied experience myself um, for what it would feel like to be in the middle of that. Um, It was a lot harder than I expected for myself, honestly, just personally. Yeah. Um, can I break that down? You talk about the level, of inten- the, the level of intention. What, what, what do you mean by that? Um, when we adopted our daughter, um, she was just over a year old. Um, she had been living in an orphanage um, since soon after she was born. Um, and she uh, was used to that environment. Of course she was. Um, and bringing her into a family 
um, and helping her to understand that she could be a dependent, um, that we were her people, that grownups take care of little people, that she was safe, that we were willing and able to respond to her needs. Um, that took a lot of intention. That was not something that she just naturally picked up on. We had to intentionally look for opportunities and have strategies for how are we gonna teach this toddler that we are her people and that we can meet her needs and she doesn't need to anymore. So she, she was at one, she, she felt self-sufficient. Well, so hard to know, right? Cause like how I wish we could have just said to her at age one, right? How do you feel, Lydia? Like what is going on inside of you and how are you responding? And um, what's going on inside your head? I wish we could have done that. Um, of course we had the language barrier on top of it. Um, but from what we felt like as parents, our experience of her experience was that she was pretty sufficient, like self-sufficient. Um, ex an example, just a tangible example for you um, is that she would not let us give her a bottle. We would prepare the bottle. She was, she was eating from a bottle. She was drinking formula still at age one. Um, but she was so uncomfortable with us holding it and offering it to her. She only would eat with her, you know, holding it herself because she was not at all used to a grown up feeding her. But a one year old shouldn't feed themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And that was such an important interaction for my husband and I to attach to her. Like we needed to be the providers for her in order to grow our own sense of like affection and warmth. And like, she is our child and we are her parents. It grows our sense of attachment. So it was like a bit of this like uncomfortable struggle in the beginning of like, we want to feed her to grow our own sense of attachment. But she was like, I don't want you to feed me. Because it's fascinating. Absolutely yes. fascinating. Yes. So because it, it, the parent is the leader. So, you know, we have to, we have to, we have to, the leaders have to lead. And, 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 and so you, you have, you're having to show, you're having, you're having to, show grow your own attachment to her right so that she feels that from you it starts with you i'm, I'm guessing I'm, I'm i'm not a child psychologist so i'm just trying to make sense yeah of yeah it's it's like it really is a dance it's a dance growing an attachment is a dance you respond to each other so it's almost like that argument of like chicken and the egg which comes first because Yes, the grown-up is in a position of power. You know, we, we are more able, you know, and, and uh, the child is dependent on us. But there's this like synchrony between you that you're always impacting each other. So yes, we want to grow our attachment to her. But as she shows any sign of acceptance from us, then we respond and then she responds and then we respond and then she responds. And it's this back and forth, back and forth constantly in yeah. growing a relationship. But that, 
that proved to be a lot harder in practice than I was on paper. Yeah. You know, I understood that on paper, but in practice, when I was used to um, having babies who responded like readily to me, like I knew how to comfort my babies. And then to have a child come to me who did not want me, you know, she, she, I was not a source of comfort for her in the beginning. Um, it took a while to develop that. And I was not prepared for how difficult that would be for me to be rejected by my child. Okay. So you're building, uh, you're building a virtual, you, you're building and accelerating like a virtue, a virtuous circle of time. Yes, 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 absolutely. Yeah. And I was, I was, I was funny. I was intentional when I said she felt self-sufficient. Yes. Because obviously a one-year-old doesn't have a lot of language for these things. She was, right. she was habituated towards self-sufficiency because, sure. uh, because the people uh, the, the, the the work is in the orphanage it wasn't a one-to it wasn't a one-to-one relationship it's right it, 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 it's it's a maybe i don't know and, and what was it like was it like was it a a, a, a dorm of 30 kids and two right. carers and the carers go around and they're giving the bottles out. You know, it, it's not a one-to-one relationship. So right. all, all that, all the stuff that Lydia was habituated to, who, to what she was used to. Right. Then she, she was just into a habit. And that habit was holding her own bottle. Correct. Right. Now, I have had a very unique experience that most adoptive parents do not get, which is, I've gotten to go back and be in Lydia's orphanage. You know, I have traveled back to China a number of times and was able to take a team of people, doctors and lay people into her orphanage and do volunteer work and training for the caregivers. So I've had this like inside view of what it was like for her. And I will say they aren't dark, dreadful places all the time. You know, we have this image of what orphanages are and, her orphanage in particular, there were a lot of good things happening there with caregivers who really wanted to do right by these children. But you're right, the way that you worded it of there simply wasn't one-to-one, even the best orphanages in the world, if they're not one-to-one, they're not uh, training a child the way a family would, right? Like. So it was a beautiful place. I love the people at her orphanage. Um, But she had learned and her brain had wired as she had learned that uh, she would get a bottle at certain times of day and she had a certain amount of time to finish it. And uh, she held it herself. Uh, She also learned uh, like not to cry to elicit a grown-up's attention which is something like children are supposed to cry. Babies are supposed to cry. That's them um, learning that grownups come when they cry. Um, And so we had to do some very intentional work with our daughter to teach her to cry, which is so countercultural 
um, in America, and I imagine it's countercultural in in the UK as well, um, to teach a child to cry. Um, and we would go bonkers, like when she did, like we would be celebrating when she cried because it meant that she was learning that it would work and that we would come and could meet her needs. Yeah. So the, part of me would want to jump straight to the how on that, but um, yes. uh, I, I don't think that's the best. I don't think that's the best use of our time today. I want to take you back to something that you said about, you know, it being harder than expected. And yeah. did, did you say you, you felt rejected by her? Is that what you said? I did. I did. I mean, I had um, been a stay at home mom. You know, like I said, I got my master's degree in counseling, but then I didn't work professionally for years as we grew our family. And um, I felt uh, really uh, proficient as a mom. Um, I breastfed my three biological children. Um, I fed them on demand. I got up with them in the evening when they cried. And I felt quite confident that I knew how to do this thing. Um, and then all of a sudden, I didn't feel confident at all. Um, and really had to um, adjust my own view of myself, of my own identity, and make myself a lot more open to input and learning and curiosity of what it meant to attune to my child and meet her needs, which were so unique um, from my other children and actually taught me how to be a much better mom to all of my children. Because the reality is, is that my biological children are also very unique and have different needs themselves. Um, and I probably didn't recognize that enough until we adopted our daughter, Lydia. Yeah. So you you felt you felt I guess you've got the you've got two things going on for you here. You've got the kind of the the competence gap. Yes. You've got the the you've got the you've got this uh, yeah you've got this competence gap, but you've also yeah. got you you also feeling rejected. That must have been. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard. And I think particularly with adoption, <clears throat> I think I felt quite um, vulnerable to verbalize that to many people. Um, I expected that people would respond. By I, sorry, sorry about that, listeners. Just had a, a glitch on the uh, on, on the the internet there. Um, so you were you were talking about feeling um, vulnerable about sharing how you felt feeling rejected by your by by your your daughter. Yeah, uh, I had the glitch on my end again, Simon. So um, remind me. Uh, yeah. Help me out with the question again, because I missed. So you 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 felt rejected by yes. by Lydia, yeah, uh, because she wasn't. Yeah, uh, you, you had a double whammy. One for the first the first thing is you had this kind of competence gap, so you thought that everything was going to be okay, right. um, and you're going to be able to cope for it. 
cope with it um, because of all your uh, all, all your experience, and right. and you and you also felt, but you felt rejected. That was the right. I, I guess right. that would be the more painful of the the more chat, the more painful, the more challenging right. emotion that was running for you. I think it was made more complicated by that sense of being afraid to verbalize that to people believing that they would respond to me with like, well, you signed up for this. Um, you, you had three children already. Um, and then you adopted a child you didn't know who had been in an orphanage. What did you expect? Um, like, I, I think I was afraid to verbalize, um, that it was hard for me. Yeah. Which, which, uh, honestly extends way beyond, um, this particular area in my life. I would say even now, you know, 12 years into adoptive parenting and now doing it, uh, working with adoptive families way more than I have been before, you know, doing this professionally. And I would say, I still struggle with, uh, verbalizing to people that anything is hard for me. So I think that that's a character uh, flaw in me regardless, but it was definitely triggered um, feeling like uh, I didn't know what I was doing and feeling alone in that. And I have heard that so much from so mm. many adoptive parents, which is mm. why I'm going, which is why I'm really going to town on it. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm putting, uh, I'm putting this little issue under the microscope. Sure. When we normalize this stuff, when we talk, well, I guess you, you use the word verbalize. Yeah. When, when we went, um, uh, when we talk about this stuff, the more we hear about it, and the we, the more that we, if we're going through the same thing ourselves, the m m more it's like it's okay. It's not just me. It's, I, I, I'm not going around the twist. It isn't just that, yes. It, it isn't just me. So yeah, yeah. Going around the twist. I love that phrase. That's definitely a UK phrase, I think, Simon. <laughs> but, but you're absolutely right. Like the more that we experience um, taking the risk to verbalize our own experience to someone else and they're experiencing us in that, uh, the less overwhelming it feels. Um, and that's really the motivation behind most of what I do now um, and the work that we do with the Sparrow Fund because we want to provide that for adoptive families um, to be able to experience that they're not alone and to feel supported long after uh, social workers and adoption agencies have, um, you know, sent them on their way. Yeah. So you, you talked about uh, this intentionality piece you you talked yeah. about essentially becoming more curious yes to create to, to create and, and spot more opportunities to um accelerate this virtuous circle of of attachment yes yeah i like i think the way you worded it earlier was like to build and accelerate um attachment. And I, I like those words you chose because that's, I feel like that nails it. It's like starting it and building it, building it more, 
starting it more. This like constant um, acceleration and building of a relationship. Yeah. yeah. And the other, the other metaphor that came to my mind on that is, is, was the learning curve. So mm-hmm. I talk about the, uh, the, the purpose yeah. of the podcast is to share what the guests have learned mm. to hopefully accelerate listeners' journeys up their own learning curve. Yeah, I love that. That's uh, a beautiful mission. Yeah. yeah. And I guess the learning curve, we could also talk about the learning curve being the um, the attachment curve. We're talking about accelerating the, 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 the yeah, building mm-hmm. it. And, yeah. and the other metaphor that I'm talking, to, talking about is, uh, that comes to my mind, is like a snowball, the snowball effect. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we... We, we're rolling, we're, we're, we're starting with a, a, a pea-sized snowball and it's summer now, so these things gonna, it's going to melt. But, <laughs> but we're rolling that along the ground and we're right. building and building our relationship. We're building and building our attachment with, right. our, with, with our, uh, Dr. Chad. And the reason I'm throwing out all these different metaphors and um, going very in-depth on this point is because... What I what I'd love, well, I, I think our, our own insights are what drives change. So mm. what I what I don't want to do is ask you, okay, so what were the five steps that you went through to build attachment with your child? Because every child is different, every situation is different, every parent is different. Right. So we're instead of giving you the how tos giving you dear listeners the how-to i'm trying to spark your own insights your own aha moments your own epiphanies Mm. and and you'll then see what you will do your wisdom your instinct your gut reaction you will get a feeling for this about how you can build your own attachment with your own unique child yeah i mean what's um, what's both um, intimidating and also uh, very freeing and grace-giving for us is that there is more than one right way to do this. So if you did ask me, Simon, for the five you know, tips to, to doing this, I think I would have responded to say, uh, I don't really have like, this is the way. I don't want to give a way or the way I should say. I don't wanna give the way because there are many ways, um, many right ways to building attachment um, and connection uh, with adoptive families, with children. I had this idea a couple of weeks ago. No, more than a couple of weeks ago. Because I often ask the guests, you know, what have you learned that helps? What have you learned that helps your adoptive child thrive? Mm. Um, and I thought, well, what what about doing it in the opposite? <laughs> what about mm. it doing the opposite way? So let me ask the question: What what do you think decelerates the attachment? <laughs> with the child 
That's an interesting reframe of that question, because I would say I like to be a strength-based, uh, have, have a strength-based framework and look for the good, believing that as we look for the good, it grows. So uh, I hear the question and I think, I don't know if it's as helpful to name what doesn't work um, or what doesn't help as it would be to name what is helpful. Okay. Um, because I, I, I fundamentally believe that as we turn our attention to what is good, it grows. It's much easier to turn our attention to what doesn't work. Okay. Like we don't, we don't need to practice that. We, I am quite good at like looking at my own practice and finding problems. Like I'm so good at finding problems. Um, it takes a lot more effort, I think, to look at what's happening around me and see good. Um, but as I do that, it grows. So. Okay. Can we try the strength-based question? Can yeah. I challenge you with that, Simon, instead? Fantastic, yeah. <laughs> um, you talked about a shift, last time you talked about a shift um, from pride to curi curiosity. Yes, yes. Um, and no, I think you, you said, you said, you, you said humility, actually, last time. Mm -hmm. But they, they kind of, they come in the same package, don't they? Uh, yes. Humility and curiosity. And it's really interesting out of all, I don't know how many people I've spoken to who have come on the show or are yet to come on the show, probably 200, mm. who have been by far the most curious uh, about me mm. when, when in the initial conversation that we've had. That is um, really honoring to me, Simon. Like I hear you say that and I take that as a very high praise. Yeah. I'm saying you're welcome. Um, <laughs> uh, I, the reason I'm, the reason I'm saying it is I think because the, the curiosity and the patience and the persistence Mm. and the humility and the willingness to fail they're, they're all the essence of this stuff aren't they I was talking mm. to somebody in, in the swimming pool this lunchtime and, mm. and I was thinking about you know I was thinking about I think I was funny, funny enough I was thinking about weight loss right mm. okay and, and I was thinking well it, it's 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 a patience thing and it's a persistence thing mm. Um, and, and yet today's society isn't, <laughs> doesn't have, doesn't seem to have a lot of strength in, 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 in those sorts of characteristics. Mm. We're all very mm. impatient. Mm. We, 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 we're, we're looking for the answers now. We're looking for the 10 steps. Right. And, and if we were to give ourselves a bit of a break, wouldn't the, uh, isn't curiosity giving ourselves a break? Yeah, yeah, in a way it is. It's, um, 
I, I think you're right that curiosity and humility go hand in hand. Um, openness to learning kind of fits in that too. And um, we are people who like concrete, uh, give me the five steps because it feels like there's a guarantee that's attached to that. Like if I do A, B, and C, then I will get D, you know, like we want the math equation. You know, yeah. I, I, I have adoptive parents um, who uh, I, I get this because I'm not right there with them who s- will say like, tell me what to do and I will do it. And I believe them. Um, but human relationships aren't math equations and it is a, a process and it is oftentimes much slower and there aren't guarantees, um, which makes it really hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, th- I think we're, we're educated in that way, aren't we? Um, I was talking to somebody about this a few weeks back and, you know, thinking about a, a science, uh, a, a, you know, a, a science experiment um, at school. You know, mm. you've got you've got your you've got your li- you've got your equipment list, which does <laughs> you know asbestos asbestos board, Bunsen burner, flask, ingredients, you know, chemicals, and like. Sure. And then you've got your and then you've got your 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 kind of like your your methodology, your your your, your Right. Process, right? Right. And, and, and that's how we that's how we are taught for however many eight, eight hours, not eight hours a day, six six hours a day. Sure. For well, K to twelve for for, for twelve years, you know, we right. for a lot of that's that that that's where how we're programmed that we do to do stuff and, we, 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 and, and relationships. Aren't yeah. Right. Yeah. Though I, I wonder if this goes back uh, further than that to say the reason why it is taught that way is, <laughs> you know, it goes, go back one step further and say, it's not just because we're educated that way. It's because we're created that way. We're made that way and it's where we're comfortable. And so that is why education kind of follows suit. Um, it's harder to live in right brain um, <laughs> areas, you know, to, to grow in our right brainness. Um, we like that left brain methodology. Um, and really what we need is balance. We need both. Yeah. So the other word that you, the other phrase that you used at the top of the conversation was an embodied experience. You talked mm. about the level of intention, mm-hmm. so an, an, an intention to create more attachment mm-hmm. um, opportunities. Mm-hmm. With you. Um, and you also talked about an em- embodied experience. What, what, what did you mean by that embodied experience? It's really connected to what we were just talking about, honestly, with um, left brain and right brain um, and to move out of seeing everything, uh, seeing my experience just as theory and paying attention to what is happening in my body. Um, 
paying attention to what it felt like because my child was experiencing me in an embodied way. And if I'm not paying attention to all the parts of me, not just doing the right thing, A, B, and C, but if I'm not paying attention to what my body language is like, what my tone is like, because I'm feeling muscle tension, because I'm feeling heat, because I'm upset. If I'm not paying attention to that part, I'm missing most of what my child is getting from me. You know, words might be coming out of my mouth or actions, you know, might be happening. Um, but most of the communication that my child was picking up on, particularly early on when we didn't even share a language, a verbal language, um, was body language, was what my voice sounded like and what my face looked like if there was tension on my eyebrows. Um, and I think early on, I, I carried a lot of tension that I was um, presenting to her that I wasn't even aware of. Yeah. Yeah. So people often talk about this kind of, um, this kind of self-awareness piece. Mm. Um, and uh, it's interesting to me, it's, it's, well, uh, the, 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 the philosophical part of me says, well, what, what's the self, or <laughs> what's the self in self-awareness? Um, it, it, what you're talking about more is is about awareness to how you're uh, to your own feelings, aren't you? You're talking about awareness I, of what's going on for you, not not for who you are, who you, you know, be at the moment. I'm I'm struck by even that philosophical question that you just asked because we do tend to use that word self awareness, but it is more than that because really what I'm talking about is the space between us that I want to be aware of. Because if I could be aware of myself, but that's not really truly helping us. What I want to become increasingly aware of is what is happening between us, how my child or how any other human being is experiencing me. But that starts with an awareness of what is happening inside of myself and then an awareness of how another person is experiencing me. Beautiful. And if we, if dear listeners, you're thinking we get, you're thinking what on earth are we talking about here? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to say that it always start. any relationship starts with us. And, and, and I'm going to refer to some stuff that I've perhaps mentioned before. Um, but it, it, it's a word that it's a, it's a phrase that I hear less of these days. And the phrase is emotional intelligence mm. and, and, but the 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 emotional intelligence it always starts with what's going on for us and and then it moves out move, moves out to what Kelly's talking about in terms of how somebody else is experiencing us and how we're being for them um, right. and the other the other thing that strikes me is that you know this. Um, you talked about tension. I'm thinking about inner critic stuff. 
I'm thinking about, you know, us being wrapped up in our own stuff mm-hmm. means that we have less availability. We're less mm-hmm. available for our child or less available mm-hmm. to anybody that we're in a relationship. Right. Yeah, I would say that that's true. When I'm using a lot of my um, capacity to manage myself, I have less capacity uh, to turn my attention to what's happening for my child and to attune uh, to what's happening for her, um, which she needs. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm saying she, as we were, were are talking specifically about my adopted child, but this is true of every child. This isn't, um, you know, unique to adoption. This is true for every parent-child relationship. I think it just became very clear to me um, through adoption and made me a much more intentional parent with all of my children. Yeah. I guess attunement, curiosity, humility, empathy, it's all about um, them, not us. It's, our, it's putting our focus on the, the other rather than ourselves. I think I might push back a little bit on that and say, say it's really turning our attention to us, to the we Uh, part, to the relationship. Um, It's not, it's not um, paying attention to the other person at the expense of paying attention to ourselves. You know, it's, it's not, um, I guess what I'm, I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying and I feel like it's dichotomous. Like it's either them or us. And I think it's more integrated than that. Um, It's paying attention to all of us. It's, it's paying attention to what's happening between us. um, And even what us is in any conversation um, rather than just being like you or me. I think you bang on. I think you spot on, spot on on that. Um, Can I try something I, I, I had I had two two idioms came to 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 my mind a, a few years ago on this subject, right? Okay. So one I one one was the idea of love as represented by holding hands. Okay, mm-hmm. and so it, it it it's two separates, two 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 separates touching one another, and the and then a and a far what felt for me a far deeper sense of connection as in love being like a warm bath that we'd both sat in. Mm. I mean, both are really lovely images, aren't they? (laughs) Yeah. 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 That I like the image of the holding hands because of the intertwinedness if I can create a word there, um, how, you know, woven together is kind of the image that I see in holding hands, not, not cupped, but literally lift fingers like, um, interwoven. Um, but 
the imagery of a bath while being far more intimate, right? Like that's, that might not be imagery that we might readily go to when we're thinking of um, parent child type of love, right? But, but in actuality, like if we kind of take that part out of it, if we take the intimacy part out of it, um, that we attribute maybe to like a sexual love or romantic love, um, there is something kind of, you know, very beautiful about the idea of like, um, of, of being, um, fully in, in, in it, engaged in it and, and it's all around us. Um, yeah. yeah. I'm just looking at the time and I'd like, I'd love to ask you the, what's, what's the question that I've not asked that you'd like me to ask? Uh, I love that you asked that. I love that you asked me what question I want to be asked. Gosh, if we asked each other that more often, we would have a lot uh, more healthier, healthier relationships. Um, I would love to be able to tell you about um, my practice and what we do at the Sparrow Fund. Um, Because there'll be link in the, there'll be links in the notes, dear listeners. Okay. Great. Great. Uh, uh, I, the reason I want to share it is not to promote us as an organization, but I want to help make the connection between personally, my personal story that I'm sharing here and what it has produced in my work. Um, because this kind of my, my personal story really has led into the passion that I have for families. Um, I'm a child and family therapist, as well as um, being the executive director of the nonprofit, the Sparrow Fund. And what I seek to give to families is um, that experience of experiencing each other. Um, I see children with parents. I don't see children alone um, because I see the relationship as my client rather than the child or the parents. Um, And I look for ways to bridge that um, so that a child can have the experience of experiencing their parent. Um, So, you know, all that we're talking about here, that idea of um, that space between us and accepting of giving and receiving um, empathy and building and accelerating relationship. That's what I look to do in my work with families. And so with the Sparrow Fund, we have a counseling program that we work exclusively with foster and adoptive families. And that is what it is. It's for families who might be struggling um, or who maybe the parents feel uncomfortable with talking about certain parts of their child's story. and we do it together. And I provide scaffolding for those parents until they can stand stronger on their own um, and help them to experience each other. Um, And then we have a grant program that's pretty unique because there is a financial uh, component of our grant program for families who are adopting, but largely our grant program is service-based. So we will take on a family and we support them until they have been home for a full year with their child because we want to help them figure this process out that we've been describing here today. Um, 
whatever that may look like for them, knowing that it looks different and unique and that each parent is bringing in their own history and all the things that they have learned about relationships from their families of origin. And we want to provide them with extraordinary countercultural care as they um, start off as an adoptive family. Brilliant. So I feel that we should have another conversation in a few months' time um, because we we've we've gone we've gone pretty deep here, and I'm sure there's uh, oh. there's lots of other stuff that we could explore. I would love to talk again, Simon, because I think your voice, though you often are interviewing people on this podcast, I think you have a lot to offer, given your unique experience, and I would like to learn more from you. Fantastic. Let's make that happen. Yeah. Thank you very much, listeners, and we will speak to you very soon. Thank you and goodbye.